You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our place, for our city. Thank you for the Advent and uh, pray that you would continue to guide us and lead us in the ways that we best further your kingdom and impact our place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, today is actually, uh, I guess, the final uh, installment of the series that Mark and I have been bringing for the last few weeks and uh, about Nehemiah and the heart for the city, a biblical jumping off point for that, but also uh, then just talking about our city and things that um, we might want to know better. We've been sort of talking about it in terms of understanding our place um, so that we can be a better church in this place and in a body of, of believers and uh, how we can best impact and really bring about the full flourishing of our city um, uh, and uh, not just be here doing our thing but how do we best impact and help the city flourish all along uh, too so um, we are um, uh, sorry about that that's all right you got started early yes well <laughs> clock says go so I went um, but uh, so it's been real fun I think for us but uh, today to sort of bring us uh, around we're doing it a little different than normally Mark brings a word from Nehemiah and then I bring something about the city but we're doing it a little different this time uh, as we have um, uh, talked about our city you know just for recapping if you haven't been to all of them we really started high level with some history and then we talked about sort of a high level you know, religious makeup of the community. What's the religious uh, environment that we are in? And, and then we drilled down to downtown as a neighborhood uh, and this neighborhood that our church physically sits in and what is it like now? What's going on with it? Who's living here now? Uh, how's it growing? How's it, you know, thriving? Or what's the vibrancy level of the city really like? Um, and then we had, uh, of course, uh, if you were here last week or listened to it, a really wonderful visit from two men who are uh, really brought us perspective from the African-American community. What does Birmingham mean uh, to someone who is uh, African-American? And, and, and they are members of the church down the street, 16th Street. And I think that conversation could have kept going for another hour or so. But uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was good. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. Uh, and today I'm going to drill down one more level uh, before Mark comes up uh, into some, uh, we're thinking about where does our church already have some lines in the water uh, in downtown and in our community. Um, and because we are a church that does have some lines in the water, we have some things going on. Uh, and, and the perspective on maybe knowing a little more about those specific things and the context for those things um, and uh, and then Mark's going to bring us uh, home with the word from the word. Um, and so I'm going to talk about three different things. And we've got a couple of guests that are going to help talk about that those things as well. Um, but I want to start by you know talking about our church in its place and the sort of downtown identity. Uh, if you remember a few weeks ago, if you heard it, I talked about some of the stats and facts about downtown and all of the everything from its economy to its resilience to its um, identity and some of those things that really make up a vibrant place. And, uh, you know, downtowns and city centers really serve as iconic symbols of their cities, um, creating a strong sense of place that enhances local pride. If you think about where our church sits physically, 
uh, and the building that it is, it really is, uh, that sort of rings true, an iconic symbol of the city. I mean, it's uh, on a prominent location, thanks to our uh, uh, founders 150 years ago of the city who were largely Episcopalians and gave us the best site uh, for our church <laughs> downtown. Um, and uh, we sit uh, with prominence, and our, our architecture really is defining uh, of who we are. And, and, and there's a word about that. I think, you know, as I mentioned, downtown, as a downtown has 10 museums, eight parks, and over 900 historic buildings in it, uh, which really gives us an authenticity, which is valuable, especially in today's world, where people really are seeking authentic place for where they live and where they work, and really seek many of those things out before they even seek out a job. So um, I think our physical presence here means something. And of course, how do we leverage our place for vibrancy and gospel mission is I think uh, really something we should constantly be thinking about and evaluating. Um, and I just, I think about things that we already do like the Lenten lunches and Lenten preaching, which is our ways of bringing people in to our church, into our building uh, for community and for hopefully relationship building. Our music and concert series that we do, um, think about the arts and culture of our city and what we really add to that and need to add to that and continue to add to that. You know, as a, as a church like ours that can be more uh, also elevating of, and engaged with and not afraid of arts and culture. And let's be honest, sometimes Christians are kind of afraid to engage through arts and culture, um, especially as the world moves on the way it does. But we, you know, have a real opportunity leverage and a history of doing that. Uh, the Even Songs, as mentioned, you know, there's one coming up this week. Those are lots of ways we get people in the building, in our place, bring vibrancy to our city uh, because it gets people here. I always say in, in my professional, or our organization that works on economic development, we define vibrancy as how, uh, where diverse people and authentic places meet. Uh, you can have a beautiful place, but there's nobody there, there's no vibrancy. Uh, of course, you, to get people there, you really need to have a place that invites that, it invites the diversity of, of, of people to come and, and be there. And so, you know, thinking about those things together, um, we have real opportunity. The more we get people in the door for anything more, you know, they're more they become more comfortable coming back, I think. And they become more comfortable being in this place and understanding, you know, this place, our church, and, and it adds to the vibrancy of downtown. Um, there's a lot of debate these days, if you follow it, about, uh, especially post-pandemic, online church. Um, and um, I've, I've always, this series, I've, I've been more about presenting information. I'm going to get a little editorial today since it's the last one. Uh, you know, obviously, I believe in church together. I look at it, I see all of you. I love seeing all of you. And, um, and I'm not against online church, but the reality is our culture. And I've, you know, re reading up on this, and others may have other stats on this. I've read that there are, it's likely that someone is going to probably visit you as a church online seven times before they would ever come in the door now. That's the way our culture is now. So think about how we present ourselves online, but it's more, it's more you know, powerful and more important that we present those things that actually will get people in the door because they're not just going to walk in now. It's not the culture anymore. Um, so um, how we do that is important, but it adds to the vibrancy of our, of our city. So that's, that's, that's the sort of first area in terms of the sort of lines in the water. But I want to bring up a couple of friends that y'all know well, Claire and Jane. We all come up 
So I want to talk about two other things that are, um, I think, really important for us to, to know and understand. The Flemings are at the advent. Not my family, we are here because several years ago, we live in the city, live, live in a city neighborhood and needed a place to go to school for our son, who's now 14. And uh, we were looking at several options. And in the Lord's providence, he closed a lot of doors. And I called him in a battles one day and said, we need to look at the Advent School. And the result is we uh, put Thomas in the Advent School for several years. And at, by doing that, kind of in line with what I was saying before about getting people in the door, we began to discover there was a nice church here, too. <laughs> uh, and it went in that order. So um, we then are very, very glad the Lord brought us in through that door. Um, but I wanted to talk about the Advent School, which is uh, something in downtown. It is an asset for downtown. And I want you, if you don't know Claire, uh, you should. Uh, Claire is, uh, grew up in this church. She also um, grew up through the school. She went to the Advent School and then went to school other places and uh, got into administration of, of private schools. And, and uh, you know, long story short, she is now the head of the Advent School. She came to work at the school. And um, uh, in full disclosure, Mark and I are on the board and we both were on the search committee. <laughs> and so um, uh, she uh, is, uh, we're all very pleased that she has taken over just recently the Advent School. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that uh, with y'all so that you knew what kind of impact that was having and what it, how that's an important <coughs> asset uh, for, for our school. So Claire, tell us a little bit about okay. the Advent School, uh, its mission and who it's serving. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think when, um, David, when you're talking about vibrancy and Red's definition of vibrancy, I think you see that at the school um, and thinking about bringing a diverse group of people to an authentic place. Um, so Advent Episcopal School, um, if you are not familiar with us, you've probably walked our halls. We're just down the street, just down the hallway um, and through the double doors. Um, we were founded in 1950. We were actually founded originally um, by a Sunday school teacher at the church um, who had a group of kindergarten students, and that grew over time. Um, we are now a junior pre-kindergarten through eighth grade. We have traditionally been a pre-K through eighth grade school. That's how most people know us. And we launched a junior pre-kindergarten program this fall to serve three-year-olds and young four-year-olds. Um, we serve 207 students, and those 207 students come from actually 45 different zip codes across the city. Um, so it's this really, really unbelievable um, slice of the Metro Birmingham area. So it's um, a downtown located school, but it really serves the region. The region, yes. And we talk about that. What, what does it mean to be a neighborhood school? Um, and what does that mean to Advent? Um, we're very fortunate that we're within walking distance of a whole variety of different places and resources. Um, our mission is to provide students a superior education in a caring Christian environment to prepare them for a continued life of learning, leadership, and service. And if you can repeat that back, I'll be very <laughs> impressed. <laughs> um, but I think it, it really speaks to kind of those three different pieces. So at the end of the day, we're in the business of education and, and offering that really rigorous and enriched education, but providing that in a caring Christian environment. And I think that's where having the relationship and really coming from the church has been so critical. Um, we talk a lot about the beauty of uh, that intellect and faith are not actually adversarial concepts, but in fact that they strengthen one another. And so to me, that's a significant part of having the school have this unbelievable cross-section of the, the city and the metro area that we're in, 
but physically right here in downtown is to demonstrate to people and to show people and to really live out authentic experiences that demonstrate that those two things actually enhance each other um, and to be doing that in ways that are very natural so when you have a four five six seven eight time ten fourteen year old um, and I can speak to this as an alum, that that really just feels like an extension of what you're doing. Um, I didn't know people didn't come downtown growing up. Um, I came to school five days a week here. We came to church on Sundays. Um, my dad worked downtown. My mom worked downtown. Our kind of whole world was here. Um, we serve now an even broader population, and we certainly have students um, and are seeing growing numbers of families that live actually downtown or work downtown. Um, but I think to me that that's sort of the special piece um, is to, to be able to offer that kind of diverse community for our students in this really central location. And, and if you didn't notice it, what is the sort of diversity makeup of the student body? So outside of the geographic diversity, um, about 35% of our students are students of color. Um, and so there's a real richness in that. Um, about a third of our students receive financial assistance. So even within the socioeconomic span, um, so we offer scholarships to students. Um, Religiously, we have actually a lot of diversity. So as David mentioned, um, we certainly have a lot of families from the church and we obviously have a lot of Episcopalians and we have a lot of Christians, but we have families that also are Muslim and Jewish um, or agnostic. Um, we have chapel every Wednesday actually in the nave. So if you think about that community of students, um, for many of them, that's an extension of the faith and the life that they're living with their families. But for a whole number of students, that's actually the only time they may be in that type of church space. And so thinking about the exposure um, and what that means to really sort of be surrounded um, by the gospel. Um, Craig is our chaplain, um, and even though he's taken on the dean role, he has faithfully continued to join us every Wednesday, um, and he has an unbelievable gift. Um, I know you all see that on Sundays, but particularly with our students. What, what makes the presence of the Advent School downtown really, I think, important? Uh, what, would be, what would be missing if the Advent School wasn't here? Um, I think people really enjoy seeing the kids. Um, they're out and about in a lot of different ways, um, but it allows us to connect. So when we talk about utilizing resources like the Birmingham Museum of Art or the Civil Rights Museum, um, even McWayne Center, um, that relationship is not a one and done. We're, we're in and out a lot. We have a big Celebrate the Arts Day that we host in May um, where all of our students go over to the museum and they work on a project and our students actually serve as docents for the younger students. Um, and we can do that because that relationship is right here. Um, so I think there is a, a youthfulness that the Advent brings to what's happening downtown. Um, it's been a quiet couple of years, so we're really excited to see um, as businesses are opening back up. Um, and I think that really presents a strong opportunity for the school to actually continue building those relationships. Um, in other ways. That's great. Well, I want to pivot to another um, aspect of downtown that, that where we have a kind of a line in the water. And um, in, it, as, as you know from the history of this city, the area that we are in now was when the city was founded a residential neighborhood. Um, and the churches sort of grew up in the residential neighborhood. The business district grew from the railroad tracks north and uh, the, the residential communities moved out into to other parts of the city. Uh, by 1940, what was left of the houses um, kind of here and, and to the east were all falling down and, or, had, or had fallen down and uh, the city and the government came in and built a housing project, a public housing project called uh, at that time Central City and then it became Metropolitan Gardens. Um, it was about 910 units of public housing. Uh, that occupied several blocks uh, sort of between here and the interstate um, and kind of where the old terminal station was. 
So that community uh, existed for a long time. By uh, the the 90s, it was a, it was a, it was not fully occupied. It was not not all 910 of those units were actually occupied, but it, it, it represented a lot of the poverty and all the associated with poverty that you would imagine, uh, high crime and other things uh, there. In fact, the downtown zip code 35203 is one of the poorest zip codes in the country, largely because they were the people that lived here. That was about it at that point. So um, the city uh, got a grant uh, from the federal government called a Hope Six grant through HUD for I think it was around $50 million to, to demolish that uh, and rebuild community we see there today which is now called Park Place I think it's 490 something. something units 497 units uh, and the idea was that this would be a mixed income uh, community meaning not all the units were public housing fully subsidized uh, in fact uh, actually it's 471 units originally 241 were fully subsidized 82 partially subsidized and 148 are market rent and I've got Jay Menendez here uh, because we have been building some relationship with that community, that part of our downtown, and I want to talk a little bit about that and, and, and help people really understand you know, and know that community that we're really having building more friendships with. And so, um, you know, Jane, um, tell us a little bit about how we are already kind of engaging with that community that's just a couple of blocks away from us and where do we have relationships and okay. how, do we, how do we have them? All right. Um, we've been um, kind of developing a relationship with the people at Park Place probably since the spring of 2019. Um, it just really kind of sprang out of um, a small group outreach. And um, it was, a, you know, we just um, have developed relationships with some of the people who are part of the management of Park Place. Um, they're managed by a company out of Atlanta called Integral, and we've got we've we've gotten to know some key people there, and we've also gotten to know some of the residents. And actually, some of the residents um, are old friends that used to come to the Thursday morning service, um, and some are new friends. And um, we have really um, started to develop some really deep roots with um, Park Place. It began um, when the choir set, uh, sold the Boston Butts in the spring of 2019. My husband had the idea of let's buy a bunch and give them away. And we gave some away to the Thursday morning service, but we gave uh, uh, most of them to the residents of Park Place. Um, and that kind of started a relationship. Uh, from then we kind of did some Thanksgiving baskets and Christmas programs. Um, and we really started in Lent of 2020. We invited people from Park Place to come to the Advent, hear the Lenten preaching, and have lunch as our guest. And it was really so, it was so much fun, but also so instructive to sit at the lunch table and just engage in conversations and to hear people's stories and to let them hear our stories. Um, COVID kind of stopped Lenten lunches, um, but we continued um, to take groceries to the um, senior citizens because they really, they were the, the most at-risk population. So we took groceries probably through mid-summer. Um, and then we've now, we're kind of out of COVID and we've, we've started back in earnest. Um, they, 
they asked us for help with their back to school program um, that was in late August, September. And so we got a lot of school supplies, made up bags, and then Bethany um, was able to donate Bibles. Um, and so to every student at Park Place, we gave a bag of school supplies, a Bible that was age appropriate, and an invitation to join us at church. Um, and then the next thing we did, which was pretty recent, and it kind of got a little bit bigger, um, is they were having a fall festival. And they asked us to come and be the trunks for Trunk or Treat. Um, so we had a bunch of, uh, a bunch of, and again, a lot of it was small group driven. Um, we had probably 30 trunks um, at Park Place. People dressed up. I mean, I had my trunk in a little pumpkin, but we had pirates, we had bubbles, we had give a mouse a cookie. People were so creative. Um, but I think the, the, really the best thing, and you spoke about vibrancy, there was a vibrancy to that gathering, um, particularly when the line dancing started. <laughs> and we, we were having a ball. And kids were getting their face painted. It was, it, we were part of the fabric of the neighborhood. And it wasn't just Advent showing up to help. Uh, the library was there. I think they actually did the face painting. Jones Valley was there and they brought the pumpkins to do, you know, paint pumpkins. Um, the medical uh, group that's right there on 7th Avenue, the free medical clinic, um, they had a table. So it was a little bit of the neighborhood coming out to surround Park Place. And um, we just, we had a really, really fun, vibrant evening. And I, I don't know, I know David, you were there, Mark, you were there, um, Bethany was there, um, there were, it was, Naomi was there, um, and the prices were there. Uh, it was just a ton of fun. Uh, yeah, and I, and I like how, you know, the approach has been, well, how can we come in and you, you tell us how to come in as opposed to, here we are. Yeah. Um, share kind of from your engagement, though, what, what, so far, what, what do you think are the community's hopes and dreams over there? You know, I think they want what we want. A comfortable home in a safe neighborhood um, with good schools, um, you know, good services, police and fire. Uh, you mentioned a little bit of their history with Metropolitan Gardens was very, it was exclusively low income, not very safe. And I think one hope is that Park Place wouldn't start to slide back um, into that situation, um, that it would really truly stay mixed income. Um, it's the units are about 16 years old, they're starting to show wear. Uh, there are a lot of complaints about maintenance, so, um, you know, they're, 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 they have some struggles. Um, I would say the, uh, probably a universal uh, hope or desire would be for a grocery store. Um, they want a grocery store that is close, inexpensive, and respectable. Uh, the closest grocery store is a family market, which is in name only, um, that's right there on 23rd. And it is a dark place. Uh, the food in there is expired. Uh, the produce has mold on it. The things on the shelf are dusty. It's, 
it is, it is, it's really not where you would want to go buy anything. And that is the only thing that's really within walking distance. Downtown Publix is too expensive. Most people would prefer to shop at the Piggly Wiggly Claremont or Walmart or Target. Uh, but transportation becomes an issue. Um, what else do they want? Um, I think there's probably uh, Powell Elementary, uh, that beautiful old school, which is really deteriorated. I think they would, they would love to see um, that restored and put to good use. Um, so I think those are, those yeah. are some of the, and you know, just to continue to partner with the, the real assets that are in the neighborhood. That's great. Well, it's great um, engagement, and I, I appreciate both of y'all sharing a little bit about that, drilling down onto some of those, uh, those, those things that are going on that we have some engagement with and knowing a little more about the community. But I, I want to let, we can switch out now and let, let Mark come up and uh, sort of bring us, uh, bring us, uh, bring us home. Well, <clears throat> let, let me say what a, what a privilege it's been to kind of take this journey with David over the past uh, several weeks and with you all as well. You know, David's a real resource to our church and you can tell the kind of energy and joy um, that he brings to these concerns for our city and our place. I'm just very, very grateful for him. I, I, I have, I think, about 30 minutes left. I'm joking, I don't. Um, <laughs> but let me, let me just sort of give you a sense of what I think we've been doing and then leave you with a few sort of scriptural ideas to, for us to chew on. Recognizing, I think, um, that this is, this is the beginning of, of, a, of a conversation. Because we've been, we've been raising, I think, two central questions. One of them is, and David's already mentioned this, what's, what's the significance of the providence of God that's led our church to be a church in the city? Um, along with, with the complications of the fact that we're not so much a neighborhood church in the sense of the majority of people who come to worship here, but there's still a providence of place. What do we do with, do, do with that, um, that providence? And then secondly, what, what's our call and our vocation, our, our, our call to be? What's our, what's our presence here? And so that's, those are the questions that we've been, we've been thinking about. A, a, a thoughtful member of our class over the last few weeks sent, sent an email to David and me and says, I don't, you know, it'd be great for you to talk a little bit more about the links between Jerusalem and our city and, and where, they, where, they, where the analog works and where it breaks down. And my response and our kind of you know, back and forth over the email was really the, the analog between Jerusalem and Birmingham breaks down a lot more than, than, than this actual connection. I think that's part of the challenge. Jerusalem is, is the city of God. Uh, Birmingham's a great place. Um, but you know, there's, there's some things that break down here. So what, what, what we've been doing is trying, trying to think through on a really kind of low-flying level, you know, what, what does it look like for us to engage our place in ways that might find some touchstone with, with what Nehemiah was doing in the middle of his own brokenness in a city that was seeking to order itself again back, and this is, I think, crucial, in covenant renewal with Israel's God. There's a religious dynamic that's at play here within the book of Nehemiah that's giving rise, I think, um, to these very practical and pragmatic um, care and concern for our neighbors as well. We hear this in our liturgy every time we come together. You know, what's the first commandment? L love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second is likened to it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And this, this is the place that I think the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, 
force us to think about the, the necessary connectivity between loving God and loving our neighbors or the, or the vertical and, and the horizontal. These two touch one another. Um, I, I think if, if, if David and I um, do this again or something like it, who, who knows? Um, someone told us we should take our show on the road. I don't know what that would look like, but if there's a bus involved, I don't know. Um, but we, we might look at a book like Jeremiah, because there, that's where you may even see some more significant points of contact between, say, the way in which the church identifies itself in what might be considered a, a foreign context or a culture that differs from its own. Because we know that the, the church is a culture. Um, there, there's a mode of thinking, there's a mode of feeling, there's a mode of believing a kind of existence that's shaped by the life of the church that's, that's in contradistinction from the surrounding culture. And we're called to be in that world, if I'm using Jesus' language here, to be in it, but not to be of it. And that always leaves the church in a certain kind of dynamic tension in our sort of vis-a-vis or our relating to our surrounding neighbors. But there's this wonderful passage in Jeremiah 29 where Jeremiah writes a letter um, to those who are in exile and he tells them, Seek the welfare of the city. Um, work hard to build up the city. Now, you have to think about it. This is, this is Babylon. This is Chaldea. This is not home. There, there's probably a sense in which the Israelite exiles in Babylon were forced to live outside of what you might think as the cultural center of Babylon. They were outsiders and here um, excluded. And here you have the prophet encouraging them and telling them, Seek the welfare of the city, seek its own flourishing, because in its prospering, you too can enjoy that prosperity as well. So I think these, this kind of this sense of place, sense of providence, sense of call, what it means to, to, um, to give ourselves toward human flourishing in our place for the sake of our own community and our surrounding community, seem to be, seems to be somewhere near the heart of the kind of things that we've been wrestling with over the past several weeks. I want to leave you, though, with Nehemiah, because that's where we started. And, I, and we won't have time for questions, but, if you, but we'll hang around for a little bit. Nehemiah chapter 8, um, and that can be your, your, if you want homework, that can be your homework to read Nehemiah 8. Nehemiah 8 is the, is the setting of what happened in Israel and Judah the moment that the wall was completed. So this is, the, all the work had gone into the infrastructure and setting aside working crews on all the surrounding walls of the city. Now the walls are completed. What happens? And it's, it's a religious festival that occurs. It's a covenantal renewal that occurs. I wanted you, you to see this. Now they've come together. In verses 5 through 6, Ezra, who's standing, he's described, he's standing on a large wooden platform in the middle of Judah, in Jerusalem there, and he um, blesses the Lord, uh, it says this, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened, all the people stood. So here's the scroll being opened. Ezra was about to read it. And then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen and Amen. They lifted up their hands, they bowed down their heads, they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Um, so what you see, I think, in this, this first sort of moment is a, is a reaction and a response of praise and thanksgiving. And that's, it's interesting to me as you read through Nehemiah how quick they are to begin every moment of critical reflection with praise and with thanksgiving. That's central. And I, I would say as we sort of wrestle as a body, as, as, as I'm sort of wrestling with what to do with this class, 
I think that's one of the larger charges that we have is to enter into some sense of prayer and discernment about what God has for us and what he's, what he's calling us to be in that sense of prayer and praise. And then there's one other verse, and, and I'll stop with this, but there's another verse that I thought was fascinating because I think it gives something of what we might think of as the great um, trifecta, I guess, of a, of a moment of renewal. And it's Nehemiah 8, 9, and 10. And this sits so much on top of what we're thinking about even in our own, our own moment and our own place. Let me read the verses for you, and then I'll make a comment, and I'll close this in prayer. And this is what uh, happens uh, with Nehemiah and Ezra before all the people. And, and uh, Ezra says this to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Don't, don't mourn or weep. Now, why would he say that? Because the people had heard the law read to them, and the law was doing its work. The law was driving them to a sense of need and desperation, not turning to their own internal resources or their best moral instincts, but the, the law had done its work to drive them to the Lord. And so they're weeping and they're mourning. And here's Ezra and Nehemiah saying, Don't weep anymore. Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. I want you to hear that. Uh, and give something to those who don't, don't have anything. For this day is holy to the Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I think what you see here in this sort of this thrice, this threefold dynamic that's coming together is repentance, rejoicing, and care and concern. Those, those are the three that touch one another in the midst of this moment of, of religious and covenantal renewal in Judah's life. They, they, they're repenting. The law's doing its work to show them their inadequacies, what God's calling them to. Um, they're rejoicing. They're, they're celebrating together the goodness of the Lord, even in the midst of their repentance. And then they're turning missionally outward to care and concern for those who are in a place of, of need um, and, and, and who, are, who are not enjoying the privileges that they necessarily enjoy. So I thought that was a kind of fascinating way in which in this one moment of religious, we might call it revival within Judah's midst, that they're, they're praying together, they're rejoicing together, and they're, they're discerning what the needs are in their community that God's calling them to. So Lord, we pray that you'll help us to enter into that as well um, in our own way. We have so many gifts in our church. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for David. Lord, I thank you for, for Bethany and the call that you have on her here. For those who um, you may be doing a work in their own heart and mind, let them seek out discernment and counsel in that and give us wisdom as a congregation, as your people. Lord, thank you for the Advent Day School. We pray for its mission and its purpose and its place in this city. We pray for Claire, especially, that you'll bless her and her leadership. Thank you for bringing her with us today. And Lord, thank you for Jane and for those who have poured into building this relationship with Park Place. Lord, do your work in that. We know that there are dragons and dangers that are involved in this kind of ministry, a certain kind of danger of whatever messianic complex we might have as, as the other. But I pray that you'll give us wisdom on how to really build relationships with those folks that are there, those, those folks who are our neighbors. Lord, bless our church in this season of, of renewal, in this season of thanksgiving. Let us repent. Let our hearts be drawn to you. Let us rejoice in the goodness that you have given us in your son and the freedom and the joy and the liberty that that gives us. And Lord, I also pray that you will release us, Lord, from the tyranny of our own selves to be able to serve those who are around us with freedom and joy and uh, with grace. So we give this all to you in thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.